Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to speak to us today through your spirit. We purposely turn our attention to you, to your word, knowing that your Holy Spirit will reveal to us that which you have desired to reveal. Lord God, and we have hearing ears today. Lord, as we look at your scripture, we pray that it truly would be to us today. It would be living, it would be active, and that it would come alive off the page into our hearts by your work. And you would allow me to speak the words that are your words, Lord God, that you would provide me an anointing that would cover uh, my humanity, cover up my feet of clay. And allow your words to speak that would bring us all life today. We pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. Now, if I got a little sniffle, a little raspiness today, I do not have COVID-19. I have COVID-18. It's called allergies. All this blooming out here is really cool, you know, except for all that. Um. Today, I wanted to address uh, the topic, and you see the topic, the message of the cross is the power of God. This is obviously, as we said earlier, Palm Sunday, uh, celebrating the triumphal entry of Jesus, subsequent crucifixion. You may not hear anything today that you didn't already know, but I pray that you hear something today that you already knew but you finally saw something today that you didn't see in what you already knew. Now, don't ask me to repeat that. <laughs> but as I began to think about today and what we wanted to look at, I obviously wanted to look at the cross of Jesus Christ, the message of the cross. And one of the things we need to do in an Abundant Life Church, the Church Universal, one thing we need to endeavor to do is to uh, avoid a crossless gospel. We're being encouraged today to not preach the cross. We're being encouraged today to avoid the cross because it's uncomfortable, because it causes people to squirm a little bit. And uh, because usually and always when you teach of the cross of Jesus Christ, ultimately you always get around to us denying ourselves and taking up our cross. We don't talk about that, but we are today. Um, as Adam was talking about, I'm not all that interested in you feeling happy when you leave here or feeling better about yourself. But if you feel, if you leave here challenged by the Holy Spirit, then I've done my job. And we're going to avoid, we're going to avoid a gospel that does not include the cross of Jesus Christ. Truth is, I'm not sure you can qualify as the gospel because the cross is the central figure, apart from Jesus himself, is the central figure in the atonement of mankind. It might even be accurate to say all of history pivots at the cross. All of history, because before the cross, it's one world. And after the cross, those of us who have visited that cross, it's a completely different world. And it is, when you think of the atonement of mankind, if I were to have them raise that screen behind me, you'd see a cross on the wall. 
And, and that's there because we don't want to forget. Everybody's talking about, we don't want to forget September the 11th, and we surely don't. But we also should never forget that the cross is the symbol of our atonement. And the symbol, as we'll get to, of the suffering of Jesus Christ. The, the cross of, of Christ it is, isn't just a piece of wood that's been crossed. I mean, that is a cross. That's what, how you describe a cross. It isn't that. But it's where all of history collides. And where all world systems that are anti-Christ meet their doom. It's where the culmination of all history takes place, is that cross. It determines which direction we go. I've often said the point of crucifixion, in, if we're talking about us taking up our cross, and Paul said, I died daily, so it's a daily exercise. The point of crucifixion is that place where our will and God's will collide. And who's going to win that battle? Are we going to lay down our lives and allow him to be Lord? That's the point of crucifixion. And the truth is, in some ways, the point of Jesus' crucifixion was where he chose to be obedient. Philippians teaches us, be obedient, and it says, even to the cross even to death. And what was gruesome and despicable, even in that day, what was gruesome and despicable has now become good news to us who believe. It's good news. It's not good news to us that Jesus suffered. It's not good news to us that what you saw on the Passion of the Christ movie was probably not the full description of what that looked like. Although most of us couldn't, I don't know that I could watch it again. We watched it in a movie theater, and uh, Ivan Parker is a gospel singer. At that time, he used to park his bus out here, and he went. He and his wife went with us, and I was standing in the aisle when he came. He was sitting up above us, and he, he when he came down to me, laid his head on my shoulder. He just he didn't say a word. He just laid his head on my shoulder for a minute. In other words, that was tough, but I'm not sure that even that was the full description. But we're not, we don't see good news in the fact that he suffered, but we see good news in the fact that what he suffered, what it brings to you and to me. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians 1. If you want to turn in your Bibles or your tablets or your phones. And by the way, today you're going to need to keep those handy. I'm going to have you turn to... Some more passages. Now they're all going to be right here in this zip code. So we're not going to have you running all over the place, but we're going, I'm going to have you read several passages. So keep your, whatever you're reading handy. And, uh, as we look at the scripture today, I think, I don't, I can't give you a Bible verse for this, but I think it, when we look with our dilated pupils at the word of God, whether it be on a tablet or be in a book, and we process that through our mind. I think the, there's something special about that. There's nothing wrong with riding down the road and letting a guy read you the scripture. As a matter of fact, if you're going to be riding down the road, please let somebody else read. <laughs> We'd like to keep you. Anyway, that's, that's another topic. First uh, Corinthians chapter one. I'm going to start reading at verse 10. And if you would stand, 
while we read the scripture. And I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curve today. Today I'm reading from the New King James Version. And it, it starts this way. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and there, there be no divisions or arguments among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Maybe we ought to just stop right there and preach that verse. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you or quarrels among you. I don't know what that says about Chloe's household. I mean, anyway, that's another. Now I say this. That each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Now, why would you equate Christ with Paul and Apollos and Cephas? It's, that's not in the Bible, by the way, if you're looking for it. You say, he's got a funny version up there. Uh, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message or the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You can be seated. When we talk about the cross, we we have to understand that the cross was not used by the Jews for capital punishment. It was not you. That's they didn't use that. Whenever there was an issue, whenever there was a a need for capital punishment in the Jewish community, uh, they would they would usually only one of four methods: stoning, burning, strangling, and beheading. Now none of those are pleasant, but that's the four that the Jewish community would use. They would not use crucifixion. This was a Roman execution of criminals. The crucifixion. And not just criminals, but even the vilest of criminals was what the cross would be used for in that culture. And the cross was a source of excruciating pain. I'm not even going to go through all of the description of what happens to one on the cross, except to say that it's excruciating pain for one to die on a, on a, as crucif- uh, as a result of crucifixion. 
And it's also probably just as important to some of them. It's public shame. It's a, it's an open public shame for you or one to be hung on a cross. And so today we want us to talk about the message of the cross, the word of the cross. And, and of course, the title gives us the first point we want to go to, and that is that the message of the cross is the power of God. It is the power of God. Um, it, he said it's foolishness, folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. Because they don't, you know, they don't see what's going on. No one could imagine any good coming from a crucifixion. No one could, could imagine that except maybe the elimination of some bad people, but no one could see that as a good thing. And if you were there and I were there, we, 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 neither one of us could see the good in that. So it was foolishness. Paul preaching Christ crucified would be foolishness to those who were perishing, but to those who were being saved, we'll come back to that. But to those who were being saved, it was the power. It is the power of God. It's not foolishness at all that we see that. And then he makes that statement to us who are being saved. We referenced last Sunday that salvation does not end when we're born from above by the Spirit of God. Yes, when we're born again, yes, we are saved. Yes, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Yes, we're a child of God and we can now see the kingdom of God. But your salvation continues the rest of your life. You're saved from yourself. You're saved from the influence of a godless culture. And you're saved from the, from acquiescing to our flesh. We're saved. We're constantly, we're delivered. We're healed. That's all the word sozo in the Bible for saved or salvation. It, it means deliverance. It means healing. It means anything that God does to take you from the grip of sin and the enemy. That's salvation. To those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God because it brings something to us, as Adam alluded to and spoke. It brings something to us that we could not bring ourselves. We could not go get ourselves. I think I quoted this verse last Sunday, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the message of the cross. For it is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. It is the power of God. When we share the full message that Jesus died on the cross, and as we'll talk about a substitute for us, when we share this message to people by the voice and the word and the power of the Holy Spirit, this becomes the power of God. In other words, it becomes the enabling force in their life. To bring them to that place where they can submit to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They can say yes and come into his body and his kingdom. Later we read those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. Christ, the power of God. So what is it? The gospel, that's the power of God. Or is it Christ, that's the power of God? Yes, it is. It is the gospel. My goodness, what is the gospel? It's, it's talking about Jesus Christ. If you're not preaching Jesus Christ, then it's not the gospel. 
It may be news, but it's not good news. The message of the cross is it is the power of God. The message of the cross also the cross also says to us that he canceled our debt. He canceled our debt. How would you feel? Uh, how would you feel? My wife and I, in days gone by, we've been had a lot of debt. And fortunately, we don't have any today. Uh, except I think I owe her $10. <clears throat> but there was a time we had plenty of debt. And how would I have felt if someone would have come along and said, Hey, what do you owe? And I would have told them, you know, $4 million or something. We didn't. And they said, okay, it's done. How would you feel? I know some of you carrying some debt today. How, how would you feel? No, don't, don't tell me. Cause, and, but you know how you'd feel. Someone said, I, I'm going to write you a check and cover all the debt that you have. You're going to be, you're going to have, I'm going to pay off your house. I'm going to pay off your car. I'm going to pay off your boat. I'm going to pay off your motorcycle. I'm going to pay off your dog, whatever your finance, you know. My brother told me about a guy that went, went off one time. He came back with a new car and, and his wife said, what in the world happened? He said, the battery went dead in the old one. And she said, well, then why in the world did you buy a whole new car? He said, well, they won't finance a battery. <laughs> Canceled our debt. Uh, turn to Colossians 2. Again, we're in the same zip code. Colossians 2, I don't often do this, but I also don't apologize for doing it. Colossians 2, verse 13, I'm just going to read three verses. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all. Everybody say all. Now, you need to say that like you believe it. Say all. All trespasses. So, well, he, he gave, I know he forgave that, but what about that? People always talk to me about that. I just don't know if God can forgive me. You, you need to get acquainted with your God a little better. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way. Having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Canceled our debt. In other words, you and I, we had a writ of condemnation against us. We had a document Spiritually speaking, Paul's referencing. We had a document of condemnation that was written against us. And in those days, it was very common for them to take for a criminal who was being crucified or executed. It was very common for them to take that writ of condemnation, that, that piece of papyrus that explained their sentence and their crimes and they would drive a Stake through it, a hole through it, which signified that that debt had been settled. It had been taken care of by the death of the criminal. And so you could see in the spiritual world as the, 
world and the enemy walks by the cross of Jesus Christ, you can see that on that cross was your, say my, your writ of condemnation and a stake driven through the hands of Jesus into that writ of condemnation. In other words, he said he's wiped out or canceled that that uh, document. Now, I, I know we know this with our head, but let's never, say never, <laughs> let's never get to the place that we take that lightly. Barclay, William Barclay in his translation says it this way, he wiped out the charge list which set out all our self-admitted debts. A charge list based on the ordinances of the law. He wiped them out. He blotted out. He canceled out your condemnation, your writ of condemnation. He canceled out the debt that you owed God the Father. How did you get into debt to God the Father? You were born in sin. How did we get into debt? Is when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden. And at that moment, all of our bloodline was tainted. And from that moment on, we were sinful creatures. And you've heard me say this. Say, well, man, if Adam and Eve would, wouldn't have just messed up, they just could have not messed up. Well, you know, and I know, that if we would have been there, we would have done the same thing they did, except we would have done it quicker. We would have done it sooner. Because of that, you and I were born sinners. Now, I know when you look at a little baby, you think, well, how could that be a sinner? Have you ever seen a more selfish creature in the world than a baby? More self-centered, more self-consumed. Everything about that child centers around them. It doesn't matter that you don't get any sleep. It doesn't matter that your food gets cold while you're feeding the baby. They don't care. All they care about is themselves. We're all born sinners. We're all born with a sin nature. And our bloodline is tainted. But he blots out our debt as if our sins had never been. When God, when God blotted out your sins, it's as if they, you had never sinned. I think we use that for justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. If that helps you remember it. I do want to say that it's not so much the stain of sin that is removed that's important. But the legal demands are met. In other words, God doesn't just wink his eye at your sins and there and ignores them. He doesn't even take out his holy eraser and erase them off of the chalkboard. No, the legal demands were met. As sinners, we owed God. And God could not just wink his eye at that because he's a just God. But that had to be, that debt had to be paid. If I, in the going back to the scenario I mentioned earlier, if we go down to the bank and you tell them, Hey, this guy I know said uh, he's going to forgive my debt. And the bank says, That's well and good, but you still owe us. And you, somebody's got to pay this debt. 
we're not just going to turn our head. Somebody's got to pay it. And in the cosmic heavenly world, your debt was paid. It wasn't just erased. But your debt, your debt was wiped out. The sin was, was atoned for. And the sin, the, the price of the debt was paid. Of course, by Jesus Christ. He nailed it to the cross as a public display of our sentence, your sentence. Removal of legal documents that were hostile to us and the divesting of power of the kingdom of darkness makes us liberated in Christ from the bondage to sin and the law. Like I said, let's never get to the place that we take this lightly. We say, oh, ho-hum, yeah, that's, I've been hearing that all my life. Oh, I'll tell you, this, I've been hearing it. As I t- my mother said I was in church when I was two weeks old, and I've been there ever since. I don't want to get to the place that it becomes ho-hum to me. I want to be moved internally by the fact that Jesus Christ, that the message of the cross is that he canceled my debt. And in his canceling of my debt, he set me free. That last verse, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. That last verse 15 that I read, uh, it said he... He uh, disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. That's a, that's a defeat of the, of the, of our enemy. That's, that's the defeat of devil, of the devil and the, the devil and his imps becoming trophies of victory for Jesus Christ. We're not going to get any further into that. I'll tell you this, that the message of the cross is that Jesus was cursed to release the blessing to you. Jesus was cursed. Once again, if you're in Galatians, I mean Colossians, go back uh, west a little bit to Galatians, just same zip code. Galatians chapter 3, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians. In a little while, we're going to come back to Galatians again, but I just want to read two verses, and I want you to see them if you can. These two verses in Galatians read this way. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham, everyone say the blessing of Abraham, might come upon the Gentiles, probably most of us, in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit Through faith. Promise of the Spirit that we might receive. Jesus, it says Jesus was cursed. Why? Because we deserve to be cursed. Jesus was cursed so that we might receive the blessing of Abraham. Now that, he he gives a quote there, cursed to everyone who hangs on a tree. I'm not going to ask you to turn, but I'm going to give you this. Deuteronomy 21 says, If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, we'll stop right there. I said earlier the Jews did not use crucifixion as a means of capital punishment, but they would use a cross as a means of public shame. And once they executed someone, they would sometimes hang them on a tree so everyone would see. I suppose that's a little bit of a deterrent. 
ones. But there's, but the point was open shame. Now, I don't know why they're trying to shame a dead man, maybe his family, I don't know, but to bring shame to his name. But anyway, they would hang them on a tree so everybody could see. So they put in the law, the Lord put in the law. He said, when you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. He who hangs on a tree is cursed. Jesus Christ embodied and embraced the curse in Deuteronomy 21 for you and for me. And because he he became cursed, because he was hung on a tree, we receive the promise and the blessing of Abraham. What is the curse of the law? What would be the curse that he's talking about? What curse did he redeem us from? Well, if you just look at verse 10, we read, we started in verse 13, just look up. For as many are, are, as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Cursed is everyone who cannot follow that which is written. You've already heard this morning. We have zero ability to do that. We cannot do that. The curse that was on you and on me was that we had a standard set by God's voice and God's decree. We had a standard set that we could not attain. You could not attain. It was here and I'm frustrated because I can't get there. New Testament teaches us that the law was the tutor or the schoolmaster of us. In other words, it was teaching us and bringing us to that place that we realized we could not do it. Jesus did it for us. That's the curse. The fact that we couldn't attain, he took that curse. And he took it to the grave. The blessing of Abraham when God called Abraham, it was to separate a people out of the world for himself. You ever thought about this? Abraham is the first Jew. There were none before. He called Abraham out of a pagan world, a pagan culture, a pagan society, definitely a pagan family. He calls him out of that. And he says, I'm going to bless you. And whoever you bless, when I bless you, you bless others. In other words, I am converting you to the first person of promise. Help me, Lord. The blessing of Abraham as promised is the blessing of, of salvation. It's the forgiveness of sin. It's reconciliation to God. It's taking on that which is Jesus Christ's. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, the Bible says. And in that, we are those who, who receive his blessing and we receive the blessing of Abraham. Uh, I believe it's Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
If you belong to Christ, you are the seed of Abraham. And if you are the seed of Abraham, you are heirs according to the promise to Abraham. What does the Bible say about Abraham? It says, he believed in the Lord and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, by the way, that's in the Old Testament. It is quoted in Galatians 3, 6. But that's in the Old Testament. He believed God or he believed in God. And God took that belief, that faith, and he deposited that in Abraham's account for righteousness. The promise of God. And also, after verse 6, when he believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, after verse 6, we see God entering into a covenant relationship with Abraham. And you and I are born again into that covenant, into that promise. Gentiles, the race of Gentiles, are grafted in to the promise. You can find that in Romans 11 if you're a note keeper. All right, moving on. The message of the cross is that he bore our sins in his body. He bore our sins in his body that we might live. Now, this passage is not quite in the same zip code. First Peter 2, uh, 23, if you can turn. Um, If I can find it myself. Verse 23, now, it says, uh, Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, speaking of Christ? Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by his, by whose stripes or wounds you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus physically and spiritually bore our sins in his body. I say physically because his body reacted to our sins. I will say this, that typically when you would crucify someone, you would put nails in their wrists and their feet, and, and uh, they would suffocate normally. They would suffocate to death, and they, would push the, they could push themselves up with their feet to keep from suffocating, because you could only do that for so long, and that was an excruciating, painful thing to do. Ultimately, you would suffocate and die. And then if they weren't dead, uh, already, then they would help you along. Well, they came to Jesus, and they broke his legs. Psalm 22 prophesies that. They broke his legs, so he couldn't do that. And then they stabbed him with a spear in his side. Bible says water and blood mixed came out. I've been told. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. And I did not stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night. But I've been told that that's an indication of a broken heart. I don't know that. But I will tell you this, that they were surprised that he was already dead. They were surprised that he said, Unto your, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died because they thought they were going to have to kill him with the spear 
to finish the job. His body was weighing heavily under the weight of our sin. Isaiah, 700 years before all this, Isaiah said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, we didn't really get connected. It was about us. But he goes on to say, But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see, he Christ shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And as a result, this is, watch this, as a result of the anguish of his soul, Jesus Christ, of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. That's us. That's you. That's anybody that Jesus has justified and forgiven their sins and wiped out their debt as he will bear their iniquities. So when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's in that moment in my belief and my understanding. It's in that moment that he is the complete embodiment of the sin of all mankind. And in that moment, God the Father turned his head. Because he saw hanging on the cross sin. He, of course, it was the Son. It was the Son of God. It was the Son of Man hanging on the cross. But what God saw, not just sins, but sin hanging on the cross. And he bore that sin in your name and in my name. He's hanging there. And then Paul tells us the good news of that. He, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who had no knowledge of sin, had never experienced sin. When he went to the cross, he had never sinned. And he still didn't sin. He just received upon himself our sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. He was sin hanging on the cross. And he did that so that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't feel too righteous. Well, you can work, you can allow God to work on you to change that. But in God's eyes, you're the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. That's the message of the cross. And finally, the message of the cross is that we can live and do live a crucified life. Crucified life. The last passage, Galatians 2, 20 and 21. We're very familiar with this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live because of the cross. 
we can live a crucified life. And Paul says, this is great stuff right here. I am crucified with Christ. In other words, I have died with him. I have laid down my life. And the Bible talks about that we lay down our lives in death with him, and then we'll be, we are raised in newness of life with him in his resurrection. A crucified life moves me out of the way. It moves you out of the way. If I'm living a crucified life, then I'm getting out of the way. Why? Because it's never, it's no longer I who live, but it's Jesus who's living through me and in me. And I am out of the way. If you're getting in God's way, you're not living a crucified life. If you're arguing with God or if you're disobeying God, you're not living a crucified life. Living a crucified life allows, says that Christ lives in me. I know we can't, we want to wrap our fingers around what does that mean in a tangible way. Well, one very basic tangible way that Christ lives in us is that we act like somebody. We act like Christ. We, we, we behave like him. We're, we're being conformed into his image, into his character. Christ lives in me. If I'm fighting God, if I'm not living a crucified life, then that doesn't happen. I live like me. And that's not always good. I live like Christ who loved me, who loved you, and gave himself for you. And he's, he closes out by saying, we do not invalidate the grace of God. We do not invalidate. We do not nullify. the. How would you nullify the grace of God? By trying to do it yourself. If you, if you live a crucified life, you're letting him do it in you and through you by the Holy Spirit. If you think you can do it in your own strength without the Holy Spirit's help, uh, then you have valid, invalidated God's grace. You have nullified his power. We all know we can't. We might as well quit and quit trying to be something we're not and let God do his work in us. So let me just close real quick. When we behold the cross, we are reminded we needed someone to help us out of our predicament. We are reminded of the love of God on our behalf. Jesus is a practical demonstration, Romans 5, of God's love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have a, when we behold the cross, we have a clear view of the only source of our salvation. It's not religion. It's not a church. It's not a doctrine. It's not a set of bylaws. It's, it's not a figurehead, but it is a person. A living person is the source of our salvation. And there's no salvation apart from the cross. We look at the cross. We're reminded that any attempt at presenting our filthy rags of righteousness to the Father is an attempt to invalidate and render the crucifixion of Christ vanity. When we view the cross, we see God's instrument 
of reconciliation. We see the doorway. We see the pathway to reconciliation with God the Father and the Son through the cross. As a matter of fact, Paul writes again, 2 Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Aren't you glad to be reconciled? Sometimes when we come to Christ as a very young person, and I, I, I recommend that, by the way. But sometimes when we come to Christ as a very young person, or we've, we've been born again a long time, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we don't really grasp all that that means, that God reconciled us because we didn't, you know, if you get saved as a child, you don't feel like you need reconciliation. But the fact is we all do. The advantage, and again, I don't recommend this, but the advantage of waiting till you're grown and, and have sown your wild oats, by the way, wild oats usually come up and sprout, but that's a whole different, but the advantage of that, and again, I don't recommend it is that it's fresh on your mind and you remember. You remember when you live like the devil. You remember that you were a rascal. Truth is, some of us are still rascals, but we got some other topic. But you remember that and you know that you needed to be reconciled to God. And Jesus Christ is that instrument. The cross. Without the cross, there is no Reconciliation. And finally, when we view the cross, we view the place where the guilty are pardoned. Where the guilty are pardoned for their sin because Jesus was a ransom for us. He ransomed his own life for you and for me. We take heart in the message of the cross today. Now, Y'all might have already figured this out, but this is not the rest of this. This is not the whole story. Some of you remember Paul Harvey. And now the rest of the story goes like this. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God. Everybody say, but God. When they took him down and laid him in a tomb, but the verse says, verse uh, 30 says, but God raised him from the dead. Now, if we were Pentecostals, we'd be up running around the room right now. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. So obviously, the fact that Jesus died on the cross, the fact that he bore our, our sins, the fact that he canceled our death, and everything we've talked about today, all of that is good news, but it's not complete without verse 30. It's not complete until Jesus comes back to life and walks out of that tomb. And so we'll talk about that next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Amen? Amen. Stand with me.